All right, let's jump out to the zone phone. Let's talk some Utah Jazz basketball. He makes the magic happen at kslsports.com. He's our good friend, Ben Anderson. What's up, Ben? How you doing, guys? Hey, man, we're doing uh, we're doing terrific. Thanks for jumping on with us. Uh, we want to get your thoughts, and I know you've been writing about it, but get your thoughts on Shaq v. Donovan Mitchell last night. Uh, you know, it, it was weird. I, I don't think in a vacuum what Shaq said was necessarily wrong. I thought the way he said it was incredi- in incredibly poor taste. I think, I mean, if you ask somebody a question, look, you guys are in the business, I've been in the business, sometimes you ask pointed questions, and pointed questions get good answers. And sometimes that awkward space is what brings out truth. But that's not what Shaq, Shaq did. He didn't present an awkward question. He just accused Donovan Mitchell of something <laughs> bizarre, and it didn't land at all. And And that's... He didn't do his job poorly last night, and it, it reflected poorly on him. And I actually think everybody, both locally, nationally, NBA players, everyone in the jazz locker room, kind of felt the same way, that Shaq was just wrong last night, and we don't see those guys get it that wrong that often. What do you think, Ben, of the preceding and the, the, the conversation after that happened when the panel was talking about whether Donovan Mitchell is a superstar or not. I thought it was kind of weird because it's like a snapshot in time. Nothing is going to stay just the way it is from now till kingdom come. And so if Donovan Mitchell is not one of the top five players in the league right now, doesn't mean he might not be able to edge in that direction in the years ahead. So what, what, I agree with you. There was some truth in what they were saying as far as where Donovan Mitchell is right now. What did you make of the whole conversation? Yeah, that, that, that was the weird thing. And, and I tweeted this last night, and the same way I feel. I remember when I was in college, I had an English professor that says it's fair to criticize what people do do. It's not fair to criticize what somebody doesn't do. So I can't say, you know, Gordon Monson's a great writer and a great radio host. But you know what? He can't do enough backflips on a trampoline. It's like, what does that have to do with anything that we're watching? Definitely it felt so off the mark because Donovan Mitchell was doing exactly what is asked of him. He was doing exactly what his job is, exactly what the Jazz need. And it's not like he's scoring 35 and the Jazz are losing. Donovan Mitchell has one job, help his team win games. The Jazz are winning more games right now than anybody else in the NBA and playing better than anyone else in the NBA. And he's the best player on that team, and it's not particularly close right now. And then they got mad at him, and then they started nitpicking his game about the things he doesn't do. It was so bizarre and so off-kilter of what was supposed to be happening in that conversation when you had a really fun first half where one team scored 70 points, the other team scored 69 points. You had two guys score 20 young stars that just signed max contracts. It's exactly what the NBA needs. You're dying for these players with LeBron James on his way out the door. And they found a way to insult everybody on the floor. And that's why it felt so weird to me. Jake, Jake, let me, Jake, let me ask Ben a question he can't answer. But uh, I'm curious. I respect your opinion so much, Ben, that I'm curious to know what your best guess is. What do you think was motivating Shaq in that moment to say what he said? He essentially did not ask a question, like you said. He made a declarative statement. Why? Yeah, I do think Shaq has always had this weird chip on his shoulder or fear of anybody else gaining a bigger spotlight than he does. And that's evidence, I think, honestly, and this is going to sound uh, petty, but his bizarre choices of what he sponsors. 
you know, the, the commercials that he does that seem so below one of what? I mean, Gordon, I know you've seen more guys play than, than I or Jake have, but Jake, I would say you and I would say Shaq is what the third or fourth greatest player we've ever seen. You know, I mean, in his dominance, he was the best I've ever seen, better than LeBron, better than Michael at his prime. There was just no stopping him. So for him to have to go out and do these weird things that feel so below him in every aspect of his life, how he advertises, how he takes shots at people, there is just a fear for Shaq of not being Superman anymore and not being the guy that he has to build himself up by belittling everyone else. And it's also weird because he still has this bully mentality that I'm the biggest person in the room, and as long as that's the case, nobody can say anything to me because I'm honestly physically larger than they are. And I feel like that's tainted everything he's done his whole life, and that's unfortunate because he should be Bill Russell. He should be one of these legends that we get to enjoy in their retirement because he's around and because he is so smart and because he's charming and because he has this great upside. He just can't get out of his own way. Ben, going back to, to Donovan on the floor here for a second, I, I am surprised sometimes at the lack of sophistication from quote-unquote NBA people, whether it's front office, whether it's uh, analysts, former players, or whatever, where, where they get so caught up in the statistics. Well, this guy is, scores 25 points a game, and, and they can't wait to give him money. It's, it's all about what ends up on that box score as opposed to the wins. Remember a couple of years ago when Jabari Parker uh, – basically told him he wasn't going to play play any defense because that's not what gets you paid and it's not a good look but he's entirely correct and i don't know if you heard it but joe ingles was on uh with dj and pk this morning and he said listen donovan could score 35 and get eight rebounds and eight assists every single night if the jazz just played iso just iso donovan he'd have those kind of numbers but that's not how the jazz play basketball and it's so ironic to me that they went after donovan last night when he was amazing and the offense he gets what he gets within how the offense and how the jazz play basketball and he's not worried about those statistics i'm always surprised by how blown away nba guys are by by certain numbers yeah and and what's funny is that that group of people on nba on tnt are maybe the biggest uh force fighting against analytics and three-point shots and and when to take certain shots and, and what you're trying to accomplish and yet you're right so often they default to box score and saying that don you know and even ernie said and ernie's extremely smart uh he said you know donovan mitchell He's only had double-digit assists and rebounds once each time in his career from each category. It's just like, you know, Ricky Rubio averaged, what was it, 11 assists a game for the Timberwolves and then got to the Jazz and, and may have broken that number 15 times during his career with Utah. He just That's not what Quinn Snyder does. That's not what he wants you to do. He doesn't want any one player to touch the ball that often unless it gets into this elite uh, playoff situation where the best thing you can do is just beat a team one-on-one. And when they needed to do that, they gave Donovan Mitchell the keys to the franchise and said, go and do that. But, I mean, how easy is it to look at triple-doubles right now in the NBA and say, are they helping teams win or are they not? Because the Jazz haven't had one since Carlos Boozer was on the team, and they've been one of the most successful franchises since then. And Russell Westbrook's on his third team in three years, and they keep getting worse, and he has a triple-double every night. I just, It's such a bad argument, and it's such a bad faith argument with zero backing, with zero... Uh, thought or, or input onto what actually helps you win a basketball game. It's just, it, it was just bizarre, and that's why I think so many people had an issue with it. 
Ben, you're a basketball expert. You've watched a lot of jazz ball through the years. What is your evaluation of the trajectory the Jazz are on right now, and how far can it take them as you consider what they seem to be mastering? I think this stretch of basketball we're right seeing, and this is this is lofty because, you know, they had a team that made the Western Conference Finals with Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer and Mehmet Okur and Andre Karolinko, and that was a very well put-together team. Kevin O'Connor did a really nice job and had a ton of foresight on what basketball needed to look like, and Jerry Sloan embraced it, which was, was pretty impressive in itself. Uh, but this run that we're seeing the Jazz play on right now I think is the best basketball they've played post-Stockton and Malone. And I get that that's a really ambitious thing to say, but I think Donovan Mitchell is the best player the Jazz have had since Carl left. I think Rudy Gobert is probably your second best player you've had, if not your first, depending on the night since Carl left. You've got the deepest roster you've probably ever had in Jazz history. Quinn Snyder's by far the second best coach the team has ever had. He's on top of what the NBA is doing right now. It feels like there's a ton of cohesion right now in the front office with what the Jazz are trying to accomplish on the floor and what's coming out of it. It just feels like the perfect mixture of youth and very high-level star talent in Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and veteran leadership in a guy like Mike Conley and Joe Ingles, and then the right high-level supporting pieces, the Jeff Hornacek of the world that you're getting from Boyan Bogdanovich, that you're getting from you know Jordan Clarkson, who's probably the best sixth man the Jazz have ever had when I think back on their history. It's just really high-level basketball. It's a very talented team. But I think it's probably fair to say I think this is the best team they've had probably since you know, 1998, 1999. Ben, you're, you are very good uh, coming up with interesting things to write about and talk about and, and to follow with the Jazz. And it, it was fun watching you work up close and how you develop those storylines and those topics. And with that in mind, give us a, a storyline that might be a little bit under the radar that you're following closely. Uh, with the Jazz right now, and this, hey, that's a fantastic question, and thank you for putting me on the spot, but you're good at that as well. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I mean, I guess here's the question, Jake, is – the Jazz have had these runs before, each of the last two seasons. But usually it happens in January. You know, we saw it two years ago, and the Jazz won on this crazy run. And what did they win, like 20 of 21 games or something? You know, they had an 11-game streak and lost and then had a 10-game streak or something like that uh, and really climbed back into the Western Conference playoff picture. And then they did it last year after Mike Conley got hurt. So here's my question. Is this seven-game winning streak that they're on right now, is this just one of those streaks or is this the Jazz playing such an added level compared to what they were doing last December or last November because the season got pushed back? Uh, and, and we're still going to see the best yet to come when Boyan Bogdanovich traditionally really starts to hit his stride, which is later in the year, and he's done that throughout his entire career. Or as you know, Derek Favors gets more comfortable playing alongside Jordan Clarkson, and we kind of see maybe a Shaq Harrison develop a little bit as a 10th guy that the Jazz feel like they can rely on every once in a while as a defensive stopper. So I, I guess maybe the underlying question I would have is, is there another year? Because right now, the way the Jazz are playing, I think they're in that. They're not as good as the Milwaukee Bucks were last year. Remember, they were on pace to win more games than the 73-win Golden State Warriors. But they're kind of playing at that best regular season team rate. And I get it's a small sample size, and I get it's early, and I get it's a wacky season. But I, I feel like that's possible with where they are right now. Do they have that next year, and do we see it in the regular season? Is that something they can do 
this year that takes them to that point where you're saying, okay, this isn't a good regular season team. This is a contender. And I've never felt that the Jazz were a contender since Carl and John left. I've just never quite felt like they really reached the top of that mountain like it felt like they were in the late 90s. Can this team get there? Maybe that's what I'd be focusing on. Because, look, if Mike Conley leaves this offseason because he's going to get a bunch of money as a free agent and, and wants to make money versus you know kind of keeping consistency with the Jazz, which is absolutely his right to do, the Jazz aren't going to be this talented next year, and it's going to be harder to get back to that point. Your mentioning of Mike Conley, I think, is significant. Uh, in the, An example in the game last night, Ben, when the Jazz started to slip, that lead started to shrink a little bit. Mike made some very nice plays to, to boost it back up again. He he has really found a groove, and it seems like when even when the Jazz shooters start to slip a little bit, he's got that kind of sense of the game where he's able to do a little rescue work. Would you agree? Yeah, and he can score at all three levels. He's become a much better defensive player this year now that he understands what Quinn Snyder wants of him, but you know what? He, he's terrific as a spot-up shooter. If you leave him open, it feels like that shot's going to go in, and he's had these prolific three-point shooting nights. Uh, first game of the season, all, all first quarter, nobody on the Jazz was playing well other than Mike Conley. And he said, you know what? I can beat Damian Lillard or C.J. McCollum off the dribble, or I can get the space I need to get to my floater coming off of a Rudy Gobert pick, and that's going to be good. And if we're not doing that, I can still run. And he's older. He doesn't finish on top of the rim. But think how many times he gets weird, wide-open layups by reading what the defense is doing wrong. And Donovan can't do that yet. And, 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 you know, none of the Jazz guards. Jordan Clarkson can't really do that yet. He has an ability still to understand the mistakes the other team is making because he's played 13 years. And he played, I mean, what is that, 1,100 games probably in his career? He's just seen so much basketball. I think that's what's really allowing him to exploit teams in a way that, that nobody else on the roster probably can at this point. Ben, give me a team in the Western Conference that is better than their record and a team in the Western Conference that's worse. Uh, Golden State's better than their record, which I'm happy about. I, I was not a fan of the, the five-year run of the Warriors. I don't like watching basketball. It seems like it faces that little adversity. I mean, it was just inevitable, and I don't like inevitable. Uh, that's not what's fun about sports. The fun part is not knowing the adversity you face and overcoming that and, and how you figure that out. It's been fun seeing this team have to have Andrew Wiggins as their second-best scorer figure out how to get back into the playoff chase, and they are, and it's made Steph, I think, so much more enjoyable to watch. So I think they're good. I think they're for real. Portland feels like the easy one, I guess, because they're still hanging around a little bit as a team that's worse than their record. But Nurk is hurt. C.J. McCollum is hurt. They're going to fall out of the playoff picture, and then they're going to have to make a late run to try and get that 10th seed again so they can get into a playoff game and kind of get back into that conversation. So I think that's probably what I would look at, those two teams. And, and that's great because those are two fun teams to uh, to be able to watch on any given night. There's a lot of reasons to be fans of those teams, and, and I think they're going to be fun to follow throughout the entire you know Western Conference playoff chase. Then uh, everybody knows how good the Lakers are. Are they invulnerable, or is there some vulnerability there that uh... – it might give a team like the Jazz a chance against them. I think there is a chance that the Jazz can go and do something special. Now, it's it's because of the way the Jazz are designed. And, and you know, I, I've talked about this before. The Jazz are a, a heavyweight boxer who, you know, they want to knock you out. The Jazz aren't trying to go 12 rounds with you. The Jazz want to throw a haymaker. And those haymakers are six-minute runs where they hit nine threes. And the Jazz can do that. And they learned that from the Warriors. That's what the Warriors used to do in the third quarter. 
It's what the Jazz did yesterday in the third quarter, and it's what they did last Friday against the Hawks in the third quarter, and it's what they did on Tuesday against the Pelicans in the third quarter. The Jazz feel like they can land two or three blows against you in six minutes. They're going to knock you off your feet, and you're not going to ever be able to recover. And because the Lakers aren't a great three-point shooting team, they're not a prolific three-point shooting team, that might be accurate. That's what the Warriors figured out how to do. Steph was great. He's not as good as KD. Steph's great. He's not as good as LeBron. Now they added Kevin Durant, and that really helped them. But they won a championship without having the guy. As good as Steph was, he was not 6'8", does everything on the basketball floor, checks the superstar marks that Kenny and Charles were talking about last night on TNT. <laughs> they didn't, he didn't do all of those things, and yet they still won because they were so prolific uh, as a three-point shooting team that it was devastating. So the question is, can the Jazz be devastating? And if they can, you can absolutely beat the Lakers. Ben, before we let you go, as a parent uh, to two younger children, are you, like myself, bracing to uh, spend the entire day standing in the snow tomorrow? Wait, what's going on tomorrow? Am I supposed to be doing something? I think it's supposed to snow like half a foot. I'm just assuming I'm going to be <laughs> uh, sledding the entire day or or, or uh, building something out of snow in my front yard. I just don't think I... I'll be even let to go inside. Yeah, I guess I should probably work on uh, getting my gloves out so I can build a uh, build a, a snowman in the front yard. But look, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm on the beat writer life now, guys. I'm not doing slack jog radio anymore. I have to work every day. I don't have to hope this is. So I, honestly, Jake, I didn't even know what the weather was. I, I'm thinking about I, I've got to get a shoot around in the morning, and then I've got to cover the game tomorrow night. So my mind is uh, my mind is in the in the in the grass. That's why you're See, ben, good. What do you do, buddy? This is this is the difference between you, Ben, and and Jake. Uh, Jake is not going to be out in the front yard uh, having uh, building a snowman with with little Sadie. He's going to be out there barking orders at her to shovel the driveway. Oh, she knows That's she good. has to shovel first. She knows she knows what she has to do to get into playtime. <laughs> sure. That driveway's got to be clean. She knows that at three years old. I'm sure Ben's the same way. Put those kids to work. Hey, uh, Jake, big shout-out to uh, your incredible wife who fed me several times last year when we were working together on uh, her 24th birthday today. So that's pretty incredible. Good for her. I, really I will for you. I will pass that along, her. Ben. <laughs> 24. Hey, hey, buddy. We appreciate yeah. you. Thank you for coming on, Ben. You're the best. My pleasure. That's our friend Ben Anderson. Uh, read his work. He covers the jazz for kslsports.com, and uh, he's he's really, really good. He writes a lot, and uh, like I said, he he's very good at, at coming up with great topics and kind of looking beneath the, the surface a little bit. Yeah, and you can tell that from, from uh, through the years. Ben asks really good questions, and when he, usually when I hear him ask a question, I think, okay, wh- what is he working on right now that's going to make that uh, really, really interesting? And know? can I write about it quick enough to be first? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's not a bad idea. I thought of that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.